This episode is brought to you in part by Candorel. Coming soon, a luxury master-planned condominium community rising at the corner of Bathurst and St. Clair. Situated directly on the subway and streetcar line, a monument of architecture and interior design, a timeless expression of glamour and grace. Forêt Forest Hill. Register today at live at forêt.ca. That's live at f-o-r-e-t dot c-a. Roman Baber has been kicked out of the Ford government caucus. The York Centre MPP called for an end to the lockdown this morning. And the Premier says he's spreading misinformation. Let's go to That's what it sounded like in January of last year when Roman Baber got kicked out of Ontario's progressive conservative government because he opposed Premier Doug Ford's COVID vaccine mandates and lockdowns. Lately, you may have been seeing a lot more of him in the news because for three months he's been running for office, but this time it's for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. They decide on September 10th. Of the six people running, Roman Baber is the only Jewish person. He's 41. He's a descendant of Holocaust survivors from Ukraine. He was born in St. Petersburg in the Soviet Union. When he was a child, the family moved to Israel, and then when he was 15, they moved to Toronto. He went to York University, then law school, he practiced law, and then entered politics in Ontario. And until this past spring, he served out the rest of his term as an independent MPP, representing the riding of York Centre. Babber's platform begins with the toll that he says vaccine mandates took on people, on the economy, and on democracy. And he worries about employees who lost their jobs because they didn't get vaccinated and are still not working. He blames Justin Trudeau for being too quick to bring in the Emergencies Act to stop the trucker convoy, which Babber supported. And he's fighting for free speech. If he's elected prime minister, Babber would be the first Jew to hold that office in Canada. You know, a lot of what I've been doing for the last couple of years has been driven by my faith. We, we believe that we have a, a relationship with Hashem that propels us to do certain things and speak up for other people. And, and that's what I've been trying to do. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, June the 28th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Aside from being Jewish, Roman Baber has more than enough challenges to overcome if he's to be chosen the new conservative leader over the frontrunners Jean Charest, Patrick Brown, and Pierre Polièvre. Coming up, Roman Baber will be here for an in-depth interview including whether he's afraid of suffering a similar fate to the former Green Party leader, Annemie Paul, who was subjected to racist and anti-Semitic comments when she ran in the last election. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. We are our family in Toronto, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. Two prominent Canadian Jews have had an audience with the Pope at the Vatican to talk about the rise of anti-Semitism in this country and also around the world. Michael Levitt and Fred Wax of the Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center met the Pope on Wednesday, June 22nd, as part of a larger delegation from that organization that has its headquarters in California. The group presented the Pope with a copy of a letter which Hitler wrote well before the Holocaust. Actually, it was penned back in 1919 when the soon-to-be Nazi leader specifically outlines his plan to murder the Jews. The Pope told them he was concerned about rising anti-Semitism and the rise of populism. This was Levitt's first time meeting the 85-year-old Catholic leader, and he got a souvenir medal and says it was a profound experience. 
And joining us now from Toronto is Roman Baber. You started off with uh, mostly opposition to the mask. No, it wasn't the mask mandate, Celine. It was the workplace mandates in that even though I made the choice that most Canadians made to vaccinate, I'm of the view that we should not force anyone to do anything against their will. And yes, I proposed legislation to ban the requirement of um, employees to, to vaccinate as a condition of employment. So it wasn't mask mandates, it was vaccination mandates. So I want to ask you about that. What is left to say about this? Because if you talk to ordinary Canadians, you know, are they sort of moved on from that now? We're sort of looking towards a nice summer and people have put that behind them. Or is there still work to do? Are you finding Canadians still upset about this? It's differential treatment of between 15 to 20 percent of Canadians that have been treated and are still being treated as second class citizens. And of course, folks that are in favor of such action would prefer not to dwell on the fact that this is what I think to be is one of the greatest catastrophes in, in Canadian human rights history. But this is still perpetuated. Many employees are still losing their jobs. Many people are not back at work. Many employers are still putting mandates in place. I don't think most Canadians actually are aware that people are still not being allowed back. You know, I think they sort of forgot about it after the truckers left Ottawa, right? It kind of quietened down. Is that what you're finding or... I still speak to constituents that are not able to visit family in long-term care homes. We still have some healthcare facilities that are denying access to loved ones. This is completely unacceptable. I, I, I made the choice to vaccinate. This was my choice. But we never forced anyone to do anything against their will. And COVID is no reason to start. We need to end this, this terrible segregation that we've imposed on Canadians. And we need to end this divisive tone that's been perpetuated by the Prime Minister. Uh, against uh, many Canadians. Is that the number one issue that let's let's move on to what you're hearing? You've been out on the, you know, across the country looking, talking to people. Um, what are they telling you? What's their number one worry right now? Is it what you were just saying about division and, and stigma? Or is there other issues that are on their front burner at the well, moment? Of course, the cost of living, of course, the cost of living is probably resonating most with Canadians right now. Uh, a quarter of Canadians, according to the CBC, are eating less. Half of Canadians are unable to make ends meet because of uh, the, this unsustainable increase in living, but in the cost of living. But I, I believe that it's, in fact, predicated because of this very same proposition. It's not just that we printed half a trillion dollars and, and, and released it that's causing this inflation. It's the fact that we locked down the economy for two years, supply simply not catching up with demand. All right. Uh, you can raise the interest rate as much as you want. It's not going to reduce the cost of fuel and it's not going to reduce the cost of food. So what we need to do is we need to provide the market with some certainty that we're not locking down again. We need to get everyone back to work. People are still not back at work. Productivity is not the same. That's why supply is not catching up to demand. There's a couple of bills going through online hate and, 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 um, and things like that. And as a Jewish person, how do you balance the fear and the, uh, the anger and anxiety of the Canadians of Jewish faith who see hate speech and hear hate speech and see swastikas um, uh, versus the freedom of speech, as you know, you said, where it's a choice or, or it's a, you have to be careful what you use to a hammer, I think you said, right? The key is in the, in the phrase you cited, which is hate speech. Of course, we should censor hate speech. Hate speech is, is uh, prohibited by criminal law. And it basically says that you cannot incite violence and you cannot demonize 
an identifiable group of people. So what you're concerned about and what your viewers are concerned about is hate speech that is already not allowed. What I'm talking about is that the government forcing Google or YouTube to change its algorithm so they show certain things and they don't show other things, irrespective of the element of hate speech. Of course, we're all against hate speech, but we're, what, what the federal government is proposing here is the ability of the CRTC to manipulate what Canadians see online, even if it doesn't offend the law. And that is a problem, especially because we're already seeing the government using government tools against Canadians. We've seen that during the pandemic. We've seen, we've seen um, the government using Defense Department tools against the protesters in Canada. We've seen the, the Canadian military admit that for the first time, they tried psychological exercises on the Canadian people during the pandemic to persuade them uh, to, to act in a certain way during the pandemic. Probably one of the worst things that happened during the pandemic. And, and finally, look, we're seeing that this Justin Trudeau government repeatedly violates the framework of the rule of law. Every week we hear a different story, including this week with Commissioner Lecky of the RCMP. So, so I think it's completely okay to suspect government and it's completely okay to say, no, we, of course we're against hate speech, but we reject the government's ability to manipulate what Canadians see online when we don't come anywhere near those metrics. What about the uh, provision in the budget to use the words Holocaust denial and to make sure that, that those criminal code uh, hate speech that were talked about specifically mentions Holocaust denial and denigrating the Holocaust. My family suffered immensely from the Holocaust on both sides of the family, uh, both in Ukraine and, and in Russia. So this is something that is incredibly sensitive to me. But I'm of the view that you live by democracy and you die by democracy. And, and that means that we cannot be suppressing speech that doesn't rise to the level of hate speech. What you often see with folks that engage in Holocaust denial is that their speech crosses into hate speech where they effectively demonize Jews. And it's also potentially reasonably foreseeable that some of the things they say may result in perspective harm to the Jewish people. And, and that is when it crosses into the hate speech territory. Let's talk a bit about your own personal experience in politics. I've read somewhere that you said you were actually a reluctant candidate, that this isn't where you wanted to be, but you felt that you had to do this. There's still a lot of fire in my belly to fight for my country. I've been incredibly blessed. Uh, we came here at 15, not a cent to our name. Uh, my dad sold ice cream on those yellow bicycles. Uh, my mom was an unemployed teacher. My first mattress was from the recycling bin across the street. I've been blessed to work hard, to go to law school, to join and, and build a small practice, uh, and then be elected by the same community that welcomed me as a new Canadian. And I'm not going to sit idly by and watch this erosion of Canada's opportunity and Canada's democracy, regardless of my views on politics. Let's talk about being a Jewish leader in federal politics. You've seen what happened with Anami Paul. What lessons did that teach you or make you worried about what could happen, what, ha what may be happening? I like Anami a lot, and it's regretful that uh, she felt that she did not have a place in the Green Party. I think a lot of it was motivated by a lot of Green Party policies that generally tend to be uh, very anti-Israeli. Uh, so it's very regretful that we lost the benefit of her presence in Canadian politics. Uh, look, uh, your viewers can't even imagine the type of uh, stuff that I'm subjected to. But I wouldn't say that I'm getting as much hate for being Jewish 
as much as I'm getting hate for articulating that we needed a different public health response, for articulating that I want to defend Canadians that made a different medical choice than, than you and I had. I hear you, but you, so you're not getting any Jewish, anti-Jewish stuff, anti-immigrant stuff. Of, of course, of course I'm getting that. I, I got into a serious fight with, um, with um, food vendors. That's the restaurant downtown uh, that uh, would not allow Jews. And, and that went on for a while. I was also one of the complainants to the city of Toronto seeking to revoke their license. They write terrible things um, on, on, the, on the web and on Instagram. But, you know, whatever. I'm thick-skinned and, and I know why I got into this business. And this is not for the faint of heart. This is a tough business. A lot of people don't understand how difficult public service is. But it also depends on what you want to make of it. If, if you want to just sit back and, and collect your paycheck uh, and, and not get into difficult issues, then you can probably do that. Um, but that's, that's not why I'm here. Um, I, I, I'd like to, to make it meaningful. And look, I also believe, just like Jews have been doing during the civil rights movement in the 60s and the 70s, uh, I think we're experiencing something similar today. What does that mean? It means that you have to recognize that there are Canadians that are are less privileged than you are and certainly in the last couple of in the last two years we've seen canadians that suffered immensely from the government's pandemic response uh, with very few people having the courage to stand up for them and um, that's why i made the decision that uh, irrespective of the hate that i was getting in response and that was much greater hate than than the hate that i'm getting for being jewish uh generally um i think that you, you know, all hate is hate, and and we we should encourage um, civil dialogue, and and we should allow people to express themselves freely, right? Especially parliamentarians. Uh, otherwise, what do we pay them for? If we're going to subscribe, if we're going to subscribe to one set of thinking, uh, and and we're all automated, then we just we serve the leader. You don't you don't need parliamentarians. There is no democracy. And here's another thing. Diversity of opinion is not just good for democracy. It's also good for public policy. I did have one last thing. We, we watched you in the debates um, and I wondered what lessons still resonate with you from participating in those debates on the national stage. It's a lesson that I learned as a lawyer and it's a lesson that I learned time and time again as, a, as an elected official and, and then subsequent to the debates. We don't give the public enough credit like the saying goes, the jury will understand. The public will understand. You might not like what I have to say, but at the very least, if you believe that it comes from a good place and um, I mean what I say, then you would be a lot more receptive towards what I have to say. And that's what I've always done in law and in politics. I put my feelings and I put my views on my sleeve and uh, you might disagree with me, but you will always know where I stand. Something that is important these days because there's a record deficit of, of trust in, in politics and government. And, and so I think that we need to trust Canadians instead of trying to babysit Canadians or shelter them from information like this government tries to do. We, we need to put it all on the table, not be afraid of varying opinions. And it served me very, very well, uh, even if... Um, some of the things I say might be disagreeable to some folks, except that they're not disagreeable a year later. It just, it's, it's, a, it's a difference of timing. We can say that lockdowns are bad, but not a year earlier. We can say that mandates are now bad, and largely the entire Conservative Party 
people that you admire very much, including your Thornhill MPP, now very strongly oppose mandates. It's just a matter of time. I think that we should feel confident to speak, and that's what I will do always. I will speak out on issues even when it's unpopular. You mentioned uh, that Canadians uh, are smarter than we think, and uh, people should be giving them credit and transparency about what politicians are doing. So will you tell us how many members you've signed up? <laughs> Good one. So, no, that is a... So when it comes to politics, that is not something that necessarily needs to be released. We made the decision not to make that number public. We have exceeded expectations by all accounts. Uh, look, when I got into this race, people were asking, are, are they going to approve Roman's application? Because he got removed from the provincial caucus by Doug Ford. My application was approved. Then there was question as to whether we're going to raise the $300,000 plus the $50,000 administrative fee to get in the race. We've raised uh, the $350,000. Then there was a question as to whether Roman was going to add anything to the debates. Many folks rightfully think that we have exceeded expectation during debates. We've certainly exceeded our membership number. I think we're doing great. We're going to surprise a lot of people. Most importantly, I think that my campaign has moved the conversation within the Conservative Party. Your first question to me during this interview was, but Roman, mandates are over, lockdowns are over, all of that is behind us. And, but, but what are you seeing from the other Conservative candidates? They're actually coming my way. They're talking about freedom. They're talking about liberties. They're talking about democracy. They're talking about censorship. So I'm loving the fact that we're moving the conservative party in the right direction. We're going to continue doing so. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Ellie Bolograph of Ottawa. She's a child survivor of the Holocaust from Holland, and she wrote in to tell us more about Yehudi Lindemann, who we profiled Monday in our episode about the CJN Daily Deadbeat. She says Yehudi was hidden in 18 different places during the Second World War in Holland. Thanks, Ellie, for the update. We'll end the show with more from Michael Levitt, the president of the Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center, about his unforgettable meeting with the Pope. It was not for a moment lost on, on me or any of us there, um, the significance of the moment, right? It, it uh, personally, organizationally for Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center and the Simon Wiesenthal Center um, and beyond that, it, it was uh, an incredible moment. I was, I was um, so fortunate to be there and be able to interact and, 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 and provide an expression of the um, feelings I believe that so many in our Jewish community have, um, you know, uh, about what we're seeing taking place around us. And um, I, I, it, was, it was a half hour, 35 minutes, I will never forget.